The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 39 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. It's still October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This week, we're continuing our conversation, shining a light on the challenges we face after a cancer diagnosis and into survivorship. I'm here with my fantastic panel, Charlotte Schaff, Gemma Blissard, Robin McTague, and Tanja Thompson. Four powerful voices talking truth about what breast cancer survivorship really looks like. If you missed our previous discussions this month, please check them out. In episode 36, we explore diagnosis and the challenges of communication and relationships. In episode 37, our surgery choices and physical outcomes of treatment that can impact our bodies and how they do or don't function. And in episode 38, we talked about memory, brain fog, and overall brain challenges that we've all faced and still manage. If you've ever felt alone in these challenges, trust me, we have too. Our hope is that as you listen in on these discussions, you'll feel less alone. As breast cancer survivors specifically, we regularly see our general practitioner, gynecologist, breast surgeon, plastic surgeon, oncologist, possibly a radiation oncologist. Maybe now you have a cardiologist, hopefully a dermatologist, and a gastrointestinal doc because, well, no matter your age, if you've had breast cancer, you now need to go get a colonoscopy. If you haven't had one yet, go do it. You should also have a physical therapist and a certified lymphedema therapist because lymphedema happens and sometimes it's years out from surgery. If you're being monitored and know what to look for and what to feel for in your body, you can head it off and manage debilitating issues with lymphedema. And most docs don't talk about it. So that's 10, maybe 11 different docs. Yet no one is coordinating for you as a whole human which, in our opinion, as you'll hear in a minute, is a problem. What's more concerning is that the one specialist we're rarely referred to is a mental health professional. This week, we're talking about the mental health side of survivorship and the gap that exists between treatment and successful re-entry into everyday life. It's a beefy episode, so let's dive right in. So our next topic was one that I was not at all surprised to find were common. Um, Challenges with depression, anxiety, fear of recurrence, issues returning to work, and PTSD or other kind of trauma for both patients and caregivers. And I mentioned in a previous segment, the 2018 New England Journal of Medicine article that was serving cancer survivorship. And these items were all common psychosocial challenges that survivors face, which, I mean, really, in this series, we've talked about, you know, post-surgical pain that creates recurrence fear, can create anxiety, challenges with our memory, can create anxiety, depression, um, trauma. There's all kinds of research that's really happening now around trauma and what can cause us to experience trauma um, in very unexpected ways. So 
I would love to know, did your medical team prepare you for any of these potential challenges or provide resources for support up front? Um, or did you find it was a process to get clear about what was happening on your own? Um, for me, I, my doctor asked me if I had a, any history of um, mental illness uh, in that first oncology appointment. And, you know, I told him that I'd struggled with depression for about 10 years. I managed to get off meds when I had my daughter and I'd stayed off the meds for quite some time. But there was a lot wrong with my home situation. And I made some serious changes to those around the time that I was being treated with cancer. And I suppose for me, with having had a history of that, the doctor was the doctor said, well, um, in, in the UK, there's a, a really well-known charity called Macmillan's uh, Cancer Support. And there's always a base in every in every public hospital um, in the UK where you can walk in and you can ask for help. Um, and you cannot, anyone can go in, family members and friends and everybody um, who's been touched by cancer in some way. I just couldn't face going in there. I still can't. Um, I don't know what it is. For me, it was like an invisible threshold that I just couldn't get past. It was like a force field. Because when I looked through the door, I saw old people or children. I didn't see anyone there my age. And for me, it was just a step too far. I, I really wish I knew why, because I've since had a lot of therapy. Um, I've had schema therapy, which has actually dealt with some other issues that I've had, you know, the original issues I had. Um, that's all been dealt with. And, and to be honest, I haven't actually felt the need to talk about cancer because I feel like I've made peace with it because it's dealt with. There's a tick in the box and it's like, right, you know, we'll still be checked, but it's unlikely to bother me in the near term. Not to say that I'm complacent, but I'm just in a better place. It, I, I got diagnosed in 2013. Um, it took seven years for me to finally go and see someone and to talk about it and by then I was in a second marriage which had turned out to make me extremely anxious anyway so it was such a big combination of things cancer you know home circumstances worries about work and making money and, and all that kind of stuff you know just all kind of boiled into one but thankfully I didn't explode but certainly um, being you know, I, I had a, a type of therapy called schema therapy, which looks at certain patterns of behavior that you develop based on based on all the different agents of socialization in, in your life. In a nutshell, it uses a, a lot of different combinations of therapy. But the biggest thing I've taken away from it is around kindness to oneself. And I'm not a person who generally has put their body first. And so, I, so it hit me like a ton of bricks when... I had the cancer and I was like, great, you know, here we go. And it's an ongoing journey, but it has been better since that. I think that's a really common thing that I've heard as well, like that we wait. We wait to seek that kind of outside assistance. My mom had a was diagnosed with a DCIS in the winter of 2019 and she happened to be in a practice where there was her breast surgeon the medical oncologist a radiation oncologist and a psychologist 
and she was required to see them all. So it was a DCIS. It was super early. She pushed the, uh, she kept pushing them because they wanted to wait. And she said, um, no, my sister was diagnosed at 49 and my daughter was diagnosed at 43. We're not waiting. If you see something, we're getting it out. Like, no. So then they didn't think she was going to need anything additional, but she still had to have those appointments. And I thought that was amazing. Because just having to go and have the appointment and sit down and have a conversation with someone where they could really get a sense of like, how are you doing? How are you feeling about all these things that are going on? And and they really got a sense of like, what did her support system look like? What did her, like she has a strong faith and she's very connected into that community as well. So it's interesting because I think for most of us, we don't have that guidance or that close connection to those kind of services. Um, for me, I, I had no idea about any of the mental elements that would happen afterwards. And now that I'm going through what I am going through mentally, Whenever people reach out to me, because I've had a lot of people reach out to me, you know, my mom is going through breast cancer, or, you know, so-and-so is going in for a surgery. What can I do for them? I always tell them, you know, you should be there for them during their surgery, but I need you to keep checking on them a year, two, three years after. Honestly, personally, I think that's more important. <laughs> You know, in the beginning, when you have the surgery, you go to all these doctor's appointments and tons of people are toting on you and that kind of stuff. But you have to check in on that person afterwards and reach out and really, you know, tell them, I, I, let's talk. You know, I know that the surgery is over, the scars are healing, but what else is going on? It's something that nobody really talks about. And I'm, I'm, disappointed that it isn't more of a topic and it's something mm. where even for me in PR I'll be pitching stories sometimes that relate to the effects of cancer beyond just the pink ribbons and all that kind of crap mm. and you know most media don't think it's very interesting but to survivors it's pretty much everything it's something that is on our our minds all the time. And we all need that support mentally. We need the help with the exercise, the, our head, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I really hope that that is something that moves forward in the future, not just about plastic surgery and testing, but about the mental issues that happen because of cancer. Absolutely. I mentioned about my challenges with getting moving again and one of the things that that made very clear to me was that my head, my heart, and my body weren't all reading from the same book. Post-cancer, it was kind of like my heart wanted me to be where I was before. My head was like, oh, that's probably possible. My body was like, whoa, wait a minute. Are you insane? So getting those three things kind of all back on the same page and back in alignment and all happy with the current situation was really challenging and very unexpected. Someone said to me right at, 
right when I was first diagnosed. At the time, I didn't know that I was going to need chemo. Everything looked super early stage. There was a possibility I'd only need surgery. And I was chairing a committee and a lady in the committee was a breast cancer survivor. And as we were leaving the meeting, I had said that I was having surgery and that I was going to be okay, and but I was going to be out for a little bit of time. And as we were leaving the meeting, she said, eh, you'll be back to normal in a couple of years. And I sort of shook it off like, what? What are you talking about? A couple of years? Like, my doctor said it's going to be six to eight weeks. <laughs> and I hit that like two year mark. And I was like, oh. And that was like two years from not like not on medication. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, she was right. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I, I was so surprised when I started to speak to women about it, that there were some of those people that were so narrowly focused. Yep, had treatment, did this, and I'm over it. And it's like, really? Yep. <laughs> you know, my husband said the same thing. He said, well, you're all right now. Yeah. But their own awareness, and you know, that's why I'm so grateful. There's more holistic thinking now that we do have to take care of all of ourselves. And for me, it was like there was that place of it brought up the old trauma from my past. So I looked at all of that that had been buried down. So it was like the tamping kind of exploded. And so that's why I do so much around it because it does bring up other things. It's the same as anything else, especially with grief. It's like, what are the past griefs in your life? All of that comes back up for you. And for some people, it's like once they actually get through the treatment and the, you know, day by day, that's when it happens because then there's the ability to relax and just be able to deal with the emotional that got squashed because otherwise you wouldn't be functioning. And I found this really great book through the cancer agency was called Dancing in Limbo. And it's like, what happens between that time of finishing treatment and then moving on because everyone's around to support you at the beginning and then you're through it, they're gone and you're left with, what do I do next? And so the fears that came up for me was one around not being able to change jobs so if I change jobs, I have a pre-existing medical condition. I can't have treatment uh, paid for five years because it's a pre-existing condition. So those abilities were squashed to look at possibilities. And then the fear around the tamoxifen, because that was recommended for five years. But then again, it put you in the menopause, the chemical menopause and immediate weight gain and not sleeping and sweating and all of that and just crying all the time. And it's like, I can't handle this and go through it again <laughs> naturally. So after two years, it was like, I'd done enough work on myself that I felt it's not going to come back and I'm going to quit it. And I spoke to my doctor, the oncologist and I did go off it, but it was like, I really had to advocate for myself because it was like, 
I would see all these people I used to go to support groups and it was like, oh no, I took this drug and then I took that drug and I'm going to get the next drug. And it's like, I don't want to live that way. I, I don't think I'd want to be here if I lived that way. And so fortunately for me, you know, I didn't have the mental illness like my mom. So I've been able to be positive and, and be able to function and do what I want. But for those that don't, you know, my heart just goes out because we just don't know what's going to come up and when it's going to come up. That is, when I, when I hear you, Robin, it reminds me of certain communities. And, you know, we talk about mental health and mental illness, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. And when I think about when I first went through my breast cancer the first time, mental health and mental wellness was not even in my wheelhouse of thinking because in our community, you don't talk about stuff like that. You don't go see psychologists. You don't go see therapists because that's the other people's. That's what other people do. That's not what we do. And for our community, it is a shift in mindset to be able to just ask for help and definitely, you know, ask for mental health because a lot of times the therapists don't look like you. So how can they relate to you? And in, in narrative, it's very important that when stories are told, that they come from a position of authenticity, they come from a position of truth, but they come from a position of knowing also. And that was one of the biggest challenges, even for me to step out and say that I needed help, that I was going through depression, that I was going through anxiety. And the only reason, the only reason I went to to see a therapist is because I, and I often say my husband and my boss did an intervention on me. <laughs> and at the time, as I mentioned earlier, I was active duty and my boss said, you need to go to, to therapy. And I was like, I don't need to go to therapy. That's other people. And she actually directed me to, and had scheduled everything for me. And it was a group session. It was a group session there at the Pentagon. And what was so ironic about when you let yourself open and when you let yourself free, I was the life of the party. I was the one talking all the time and everyone, because I had a bilateral mastectomy, because they took everything the first time and even though mine was detected early, everyone felt that I had the worst of the worst. And I was like, no, you all have the worst of the worst, but you find that commonality when you start talking about it and it doesn't. And I often say, Cancer has no color barriers. It doesn't care. It doesn't discriminate um, based on your color, race, sex, national origin. And I think that's another topic that you don't hear a lot of. And that is how different groups and different nationalities deal with, you know, PTSD, mental health, and even just going through breast cancer. Because, you know, even, even for me, even now, after all of these times, because I was diagnosed once, twice, and even I found a third tumor, but it was, it wasn't, it wasn't cancer but it was um, scar tissue. But you don't know that until you 
go through. And I actually thought that I had did something wrong when I had it, but when I found a lump the third time. So just imagine that anxiety that you have. And if you don't have any type of coping mechanism and Robin, that's why I come, I so believe in meditation that, you know, we have to be able to center ourselves so that we, that we're okay because we can't help anyone else unless we're okay. And that is one, if I had anything else to, to take away is how do you center yourself in making yourself okay? Because it's different for every group. It's different for everyone that is on, that's doing this 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 cast yeah that is so so true there it does not discriminate it does not at all and robin i was so relating to what you were saying about tamoxifen it turned out i was actually allergic to tamoxifen because i'm celiac and tamoxifen has gluten in it and i cannot tell you how often I ask the question now, if I'm being prescribed something, I make sure that there's not gluten in it. And doctors look at me like I have three heads. And I had initially had a reaction to tamoxifen and they tried to switch me to Lupron and another medication. And the side effects were, the same as what I had been experiencing on the tamoxifen plus like four other side effects. And I was like, no, 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 we're not doing this. Like I'll go back to the other. And then I started about a year later, I was training for an endurance event. So I was running quite frequently and I was pushing the medication through my system and it was kind of keeping the side effects at bay. And I finished the event that I've been training for and it was winter and I had come home with a really bad cold and had taken a break. And I was all of a sudden overwhelmed by all these side effects. And I was, it came into the season of all my doctor's appointments and every single doctor I saw, I was like, something is wrong with me. Like I'm full of fluid. I look puffy. Like I'm gaining weight. That's uncontrollable something is terribly wrong. And people would just kind of look at me and and nod and kind of smile. And my plastic surgeon said, Oh, yeah, everyone gains like 20 pounds on tamoxifen. I was like, No, (laughs) no, this is not okay. This is not okay. And the fluid was really a problem. It was starting, I felt like it was starting to have an effect on my heart. And then I woke up one morning. And I was like, um, it's gluten. And my husband looked at me like, what, what's gluten? And I said, the tamoxifen has gluten. And he said, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I had rashes. It had been so long since I'd had the exposure that I wasn't connecting all the things to the fact that it was gluten. And I called my pharmacist and she said, oh, I think you might be right. Like there are ingredients that could contain gluten. It's not labeled gluten-free. Call your oncologist, have them check. It took my oncologist's office 18 weeks to confirm what I already knew. I gave them 24 hours. And in the leaflet, and I actually have this pulled out in, in my book, 
there's a, the two like seminal, like the distillation of all the studies that they've done on tamoxifen. There are two things now. When I was on it in 2017, 2018, there was one that was listed in the like 10-page packet that they give you every time you get the medication. And it was of a thousand people who got the drug, 10 had a recurrence. And of the thousand people who had a placebo, 17 had a recurrence. So it has a 43% effective rate. And I did the math. And then I said to my husband, because I wasn't sure if my cognitive dysfunction was kicking in or not, because it seemed like such a low number. 1.35% of all the people had a recurrence, but it was a 43% effective rate. And I was like, I'm right, right? Like this is only 1.35%. 27 people out of 2000 is only 1.35%. And he was like, yeah, that's math. (laughs) And one of the nurses from the doctor's office called me like a week later because I had said, you have 24 hours and I'm done. And a nurse called me like a week later and she's like, so we really need you to go back on that medication. And I was like, well, riddle me this. This is what the leaflet for the 10 page document I get on the medication says 1.35% of all the people had a recurrence. Is that accurate? Is is this the 43% that you're saying I need to take this for? And she said, well, yes, we don't want you to be the 1.35%. And I said, well, I don't want to be an alien in my own body anymore. So thank you very much. But no, I will not be going back on the medication. And by the way, I'm allergic. And the first thing says, don't take if allergic. So no, thank you. So we wonder why. And I discovered in this topic of depression, anxiety, and trauma, I discovered that being unheard like having a a problem that then is not being witnessed by the people we need to witness it is actually results in trauma that being unheard which i was so fascinated by like a year and a half later when i was working on my ted talk i was like oh I was actually traumatized by that whole situation and I had no idea. And that was really eye-opening to me and it really has caused me to look at some of these situations and topics in a completely different way. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, when you think even just look at the side effects of tamoxifen and the other cancers that it can cause. Like how valuable does it make you feel? And yeah, when you're going through everything, it's like feeling kind of like a number and a piece of meat. And of course it's going to damage our self-esteem or how we see ourselves and, you know, we're the breast or we're the this or we're the that, but we're not a whole person. And it's terrible. (laughs) It's like, why would we treat anyone like that? And I mean, I never really put doctors on pedestals before, but it's really, it's, and I think that's why so much advocacy work around stuff now. It's like, 
we know what's best for us. Like if you're not willing to have a discussion and treat me as an adult and as an individual, then that's not going to do anything. That's not going to move this forward. Yeah, I think that you absolutely hit the nail on the head there. Like treating the whole human. And it's such a challenge. I feel like we need to be treating the whole human. There's a piece that's missing in this transition from treatment into successful survivorship. And it's that guide. Like we could all use a guide that's there to say, yep, that's normal. Yep, that's normal. Because when you have someone that you can say, I can't remember what the thing that you put ice in that keeps things cold that you take to the beach, like what? Sometimes it has like (laughs) a zipper or, (laughs) and when someone can say, yep, I do that too. Like then we can be like, oh, that's normal. And while it still might frustrate us, it's easier to say, oh yeah, I do that. That's normal. Yeah, and I think that's um, my concern for the mental health. I mean, right now, there's so much more happening. um, But the volunteer organization that I did work for almost 20 years, because the donations are not coming in, they've laid off 40% of the staff, and our volunteer jobs are gone to be that peer support for women that are going through it. And it's like, you know, not everyone has the money to to get private help. So what are women going to do? And I just think it's really a travesty that those supports are are not there. Yeah, it's it's so needed. And support in the form of moving us forward. I have a client who is a young triple negative survivor and she was going to a support group. And after like month three, she said, wow, I'm glad I didn't have a mastectomy because all the people in my support group hate them, but it's all they talk about every time we come together. And I said, well, is anyone asking questions to help move people through? Like what's how?" How's that working? Like when you have a challenge, is someone helping you to move to the next like process and move forward? It sounds like people are in this or are like are people in the same place they were three months ago? And she's like, yeah, they're pretty much in the same place they were three months ago. And I found that curious. And I think that's the difference of like in the coaching world as coaches, we ask questions to help people process where, and sometimes it's just a matter of asking why, like as things come up and we just keep, you know, asking a question and exploring the topics. And I think that in a lot of cases, that's missing in this whole piece. 
Absolutely. And that's why I left the support group too. And because every time it was people would retell their story. And we know now that, I mean, we have research and everything to confirm it. When we repeat that story, it just gets ingrained. So we need to create the new story. And people would take a long time telling it and go through all the details. And it's like, I cannot live with this. It's like, I want to move on. What's the next thing? How can I get better? How can we support each other? This is not support to me. Yeah. I, I agree completely on these groups. For me, I went there at first to see if I could find support or get some advice. and. The two things that that stood out to me was I I am a lucky, privileged woman because I didn't have it as bad as a lot of these people did. And also there's a lot of people who my my life has always been you have to you have to put your foot forward, you have to be positive, you have to find a way to take whatever life throws at you and move forward with it with newfound knowledge and expertise. And for you to just sit here and constantly tell us how horrible your life is. I mean, I understand that's why they're here in the group, but at other times I'd get frustrated and think you're not, you're not going to help yourself if you keep telling the same negative story and talking about all the bad stuff you have to move forward. But I, I don't think that that's, something that a lot of people are aware that they can even do. They're, they're used to their, they're used to their pain. And even though the pain hurts, it's also a comfort to them because when you get outside of that and you have to move forward, it is scary. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that one. I went to one here in my, in my local County and I could, all I could do was do one. Um, and, and, so I, I saw. I also have to preference that with, you know, 25 years in the military, and you know, since retired, my mindset is totally, totally different. It's like, okay, I don't mind talking about problems, and that's what I do as a, as a mediator. But there's a there's a point where no longer talking about your problem is productive. Where now you need to be able to move through to solutions, to finding a fix, finding what needs to be done. So I can only spend this much time about talking about problems. My big thing is solutions. I'm very solution driven. And it was, I left there feeling worse than what I did going. And I came back and I told my husband, I told my husband, I said, I can't do that. I said, because that was more depressing. I left there more depressed than I did going there. And I said, how, how do you do, how do you stay in that constant flux of, you know, like in, in Charlie Brown, Linus, he just kicks up dirt, kicks up <laughs> dirt. And that's, the, that's how I felt. I was like, you guys are retelling the same story. Every it's the same thing. There's no new. How do you yeah. how how are we adding? How are we advancing on getting better? And yeah, I was like, I can't do that. My head hurts. And being very much of an introvert, that did not help the situation at all. And uh, like I said, I just went. I just all I could do was one. Yeah, I was, I was the same. Just one. Yeah. I was the same. 
I had a lady come up to me at the end of the one that I went to where I just sort of matter of factly told my story and I was a year out of my surgery, which is where mine started. And I was wrapping up my Herceptin. And so I just sort of matter of factly told my story, my sequential stuff. And there was someone there who had had a lumpectomy three months prior. She was struggling to make choices with the oncologist and she hadn't been back to work. And she said to me, how did you go back to work after 11 days with after a bilateral? And I was like, I, I just did like I, my doctor said it was going to be a seven day recovery my implants are over the muscle. Uh, so my expanders were over the muscle. She told me I was going to be a seven day recovery. I figured I'd be out of work for a week. I didn't consider anything else. Like I own a business. That, that was it. Like I, it didn't even occur to me. And I knew her oncologist. So I asked who her oncologist was and then I was a little surprised that she was able to not be moving forward with the choice. <laughs> Cause I didn't feel like I felt like he was pretty insistent <laughs> with me. Like this is what we're going to do. And this is when it's going to start. Um, but it's, it's interesting that like decision-making process and how challenging that can be. And getting how easy it can be to get stuck there. Yeah, I call it the victim mentality. And it's, yeah, we get stuck. And and I saw that in my mom, right? So I work so hard against it. And I think that's why I have been able to move forward in, in so many challenges in my life. But it's like it's so easy because that's when we get people helping us and we get rewarded for it and all of that and to see something different. And to and that's why I, I'm grateful that you're doing this because it's like when people can see that we have other options and we can look at choices and look at it in a different way that it's just an experience. And yes, there's all these challenges and deal with them one at a time, day by day. We don't have to get stuck in that overwhelm of I'm the victim and I can't make any choices at all. Yeah, absolutely. I like to say that they're just more when we have a challenge or something doesn't go the way that we wanted it to or the way we expected it to, it's not good or bad. It's just more information. I think that's especially true in movement as we tend to judge ourselves if something doesn't go the way that we want it to. Um, but it's not good or bad. It's just information. And when we can connect into that idea that things aren't good or bad, they're just information. I think it gives us more freedom to try different things. Charlotte. You know, I think this, I don't see all these experiences I know that have all built me up into who I am now. I mean, I'm 49 years old. I've been through breast cancer. You know, I'm an older mom, that kind of stuff. And I guess now in this 
time in my life, I have less patience for people who can't get out of their own way. And so I'm not somebody who's going to sit there and cater to their woe is me. And I need to focus on myself. And I, I feel as though there are a lot of people, like I said before, that feel like it's more comfortable to keep complaining than to find a solution. Yeah. And so, you know, it, that's another thing that is, has changed me in the past two years since my diagnosis is that I don't have time for these people in my life who aren't going to help move forward or help me move forward. And, uh, you know, it, it just is very frustrating. I mean, I, I even look at it in right now with COVID, you know, some people are so fearful and so scared and, you know, it doesn't matter what your thought process on it is, it's the ability to understand that this is life and things are going to happen. And no matter what your choice, you're not going to be rewarded or punished for it, that it's just, this is the new, new path in your life. And we're going to get through it. And we're going to look back and understand why it happened this way. So for me, I guess I'm just getting less less patient with some people and, and things in life. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you said about COVID because I think as cancer survivors, I think cancer survivors were among the best prepared mm-hmm. to kind of walk through this interesting time that we're in. Right. Because it's like when you discover you have cancer, you have no idea what is going to happen next. Yeah. And so then when COVID happened, you know, you see a lot of people being so scared and so fearful. And I just sit there and I look at it and I'm like, you know, you got to realize you only can control yourself. You can't control everything else that's going on out there. Let's step back, think about what you can do to help yourself. And then move forward with facts and talk to people and learn more. So, you know, I, that's another, like I said, I, I just don't have patience with some people who can't stop going on and on about being so scared and being so fearful and um, just constantly drawing on it. They're, you got to move forward somehow. Mm, my mom does that. And my mom did that while I was ill. Um, some, some pretty bad issues um on my side it was difficult because a lot of the time when I felt I just needed someone to listen and certainly during chemo it was lots of work conference calls oh I'm with Gemma you know she's in the hospital no she's fine no I'm fine oh there's nothing worse than your child having cancer no no it's so horrible and I'm like can you just stop telling everybody how you're feeling about it it's like you know you haven't even mentioned how I'm feeling at all um it was really tough for me and in the end, I actually um, set things in motion. I made agreements with the nurse to change my medication so I could drive myself to chemo and back again so that I, you know, I didn't want the Puritan so that I could, because it may be drowsy and I wanted to be able to drive home and so go there and come back by myself because it just got so upsetting in the end. And we even planned out the whole scene, like how we would tell my mum, you know, and, you know, the nurse came in and said, oh, Jim, we, we've, I've spoken to the doctor. We're going to drop your Puritan um, so that you're able to drive yourself um, here. We think we don't think you need it. And I'm like, fantastic. Thank you. And my mum goes, well, I'm still driving you here. You've got no choice, Gemma. And that was it. It was just awkward silence, like, you know, tumbleweed and crickets going. And I was just like, oh, well, I guess that's that then. 
yes, that's that. I need to come with you. I'm like, okay, so what I want doesn't matter. <laughs> so it was really tough. Yeah, it's, family dynamics are really interesting during these situations as well. I've talked to so many different people and especially with parents, it's hard for them to see their children having, and then that brings up fear and anxiety and yeah, it's so challenging. So I I would be the same with my child. I mean, well, having experienced it, I probably wouldn't be the same, but um, with my child, but I can certainly relate to the horror I mean, I felt horror enough. It's the one time I felt true horror in my life was when I found out I had cancer. The other, the only thing I can think of that could be worse is if my child had it. Yeah. So I get it. So, so many, so, so many challenges. We could talk about this topic of mental health all afternoon. I'm quite certain so we might have to reconvene to have uh, some further conversation on this. I cannot believe that we have come to the end of our Breast Cancer Awareness Survivorship Series for October 2020. I want to thank each of these ladies for being with me these past four weeks and sharing their stories from a place of truth, authenticity, and above all, finding the silver linings in all these challenges. Every week, our conversations further reinforced that while our ages range, we live in different geographical areas and come from different communities, our challenges when it comes to managing the effects of cancer are similar. And we all want to see people who look like us in the solutions and support structures that we seek. A few of this week's takeaways for me were asking for help is hard. This is one that comes up over and over. So we need to start flexing this muscle more in small ways so that when we need to ask for bigger things, we're already familiar with the practice. The next one is no one is alone in waiting to seek additional assistance for the mental side of things. Because the reality is, no one told us that maybe we should. If you feel like you're still struggling, it's never too late to talk with someone. And the final one that we just skimmed over in today's discussion, but I've been seeing a lot in the breast cancer world this October, is pink ribbons and all that crap. I've seen many breast cancer survivors feeling as though they're merely surviving the pink wash over the month of October and expressing how much they hate seeing breast cancer everywhere during this month. And I totally agree. As Charlotte commented, the media in many ways tell the story they think people want, which may not be the stories that we need now that we're on the other side. Every week, I close out the episode with an invitation to join the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. And I really would love for you to join the group to continue the conversation and get tips on well-being and ideas from others who are on this survivorship journey. I hope you'll take me up on the offer to connect and let me know how this podcast and community can support you in your journey. I'll be back next week. I hope you'll listen in then. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.